Hello, and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mask, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing Dragon Singer by Anne McCaffrey, With a Conquering Air by Inexplicafix, and When the Tiger Came Down the Mountain by Nevo. Hello and welcome to episode 75, Bread and Roses. I'm Alex and I'm the Arlo Guthrie one. I'm Freya and I'm the Banjo Patterson one. I'm Macy and I am the Christina Rossetti one. We are three red-headed fantasy authors. And today we're talking about one of my most favorite things in the entire world, bards and storytellers. Bards! Yay! Yay. Uh, I am thrilled for this. Uh, it has been a very weird week, but we're going to touch on that in <laughs> a second, dear listeners. Yeah. Uh, fair warning, this could be another chaos episode. Uh, but mm. before we get into all that, fellow slurpants, what are we reading? No! No! <laughs> We are leaving the Slurpants back in the Splotsball episode where they belong. And that just came out this week. (laughs) And I'm over it. We will have a different type of chaos, I am quite sure. Yeah. Alright, so what have I read? I have read the third book in K.A. Dawes Chronicles of Gadid series, The Unconquered City. Mm. It was really nice to have that series wrapped up. All the books are standalone, but this one did a really nice job of bringing back some characters from the first two books and giving us a glimpse at what they're doing or giving them a happy ending, and that was lovely. I also read Catherine Valenti's Radiance, which is one of her older books, and I had not read it before, but I'd had it on my shelf for years and years and years and decided that I would finally give it a go and see whether I wanted to keep it or not. This is about an alternate history in which the solar system is colonized pretty early in the 20th century, and it centers on the movie industry. And Hmm. yeah, it's about, it's basically, it's a book about Hollywood, and it's told as a mystery of a famous filmmaker's daughter who becomes a filmmaker herself, who makes documentaries. She takes a crew off to make a documentary about a mysterious village and some terrible things happen and she disappears and she might be dead, she might not. So there's always a bit of a hook of what actually happened, but it's told through different people's memoirs and scripts and attempts at writing it in a fictional way that they keep just changing their mind as to what the genre is. So they'll start the story in a noir style and then they'll stop and have a conversation about the fact that the noir tone isn't working and they need to change the character's voice and then they'll pick up the story again in a different tone. So it's extremely meta. It was a little bit too slow for what I was looking for. Like, it's one of those ones where, like Space Opera, where Cat Valenti just really digs into the language in a really beautiful way. It's beautiful. Oh, yeah. It's beautifully written. It's gorgeous, gorgeous. Yes. And, like, I didn't mind that it was slow, but they, it, nothing about it was pulling me onwards. Even the mystery itself wasn't being treated really as a hook so much as a vague frame. Mm. So I read it very slowly over about a month, just picking it up and putting it down. It was lovely. If that sounds like your kind of thing, go for it. Um, And the third book that I have read, I didn't really enjoy, but I'm going to mention it here because I think a lot of people would enjoy it. And this is a book called Catherine House by Elizabeth Thomas. This is a dark academia book, which is (laughs) speculative to a certain extent. 
uh, and it's about a girl called Inez who is accepted to a very prestigious university called Catherine House, where by going there you are agreeing to have no contact whatsoever with the outside world for three years. And they have a lot of funding and there's some sort of mysterious rumors around what actually goes on at this school but you're sort of promised prestige and a network once you get out. So it has a lot in common with Ninth House by Lee Bardugo. Macy, you're making some faces. Do you have a question? I'm just like making the meme face from Fury Road. That's a trap. <laughs> wow. Well done. Good genre awareness showing there. <laughs> um, again. I'm just like, that's just like the worst, like PhD advisor is going to abuse you that all of my PhD friends went through, <laughs> oh, but yeah. like dialed up to 11. Yeah. So obviously there's some shit going on and you want to follow the narrator as she finds out what's going on. The reason I didn't connect with this is not because it's badly written or not because it's not achieving what it sets out to do, because I think it does, but because the emotions in it fell absolutely flat. Like the narration mm. is very dis- detached. You don't really get a sense mm. of any motivation of the main character. Like Macy, I know that we have a talk about how difficult it is to start a book off when your narrator is depressed and apathetic and doesn't really want anything. And <laughs> I've this, been there. The I've been there. I've done first it. first half of the book does that. And even then they don't really ever <sighs> wrench us out of that detachment and depression. And I don't really care. And there's, no, I had no emotional attachment to anything that was going on in the book. Mm-hmm. So I was reading it as like, well, this is kind of interesting. It's nicely written. It's a good idea. I think I would have enjoyed it more as a novella because the lack of emotional engagement wouldn't have mattered quite so much. But mm. that said, if you like weird, dark academia with sort of nice but quite sparse writing and you think you could put up with some obscurity of character and lack of emotion, give it a go. Like it's, it's, I think it's been very polarizing. It's got a pretty low rating on Goodreads. Uh, <laughs> but so I think for the people who love it, they really love it. So that was my third one. That makes sense. Um, meanwhile, we are over here on the 6th of November, um, which is the 6th day of NaNoWriMo and the 4th day of election. Uh, um, <laughs> the new month, the new season of the year. Yes. The 4th day fourth of, of election, election day. This, yeah. is the fourth, this is the 4th of election and we're becoming exceedingly inefficient at yes. losing our minds. Uh, um, oh yes, we are all technically doing NaNoWriMo. <laughs> I am on track. Um, but I weirdly found that I have read a book this past fortnight. It's been so very long since Macy read a book. Truly incredible. We're all like very excited by this development. We are. Um, Macy has been reading, uh, Macy is in third person now, cool. Macy has been reading Architects of Memory by Karen Osborne. And (laughs) stop snickering at me. You're doing a great job. I'm so proud of you. Please continue. Architects of Memory, my darling, darling listeners, is a kind of blue-collar corporate dystopia space fiction in which the main character is desperately trying to become a citizen so she can get health care to deal with her terminal illness, which is a mood, Um, and it's got a pair of FF main characters who really want to be together but can't. It is chock full of action scenes and like shooty running around in vacuum and there are so many corpses and I just reached the chapter (laughs) where it's like a warehouse full of alien weaponry, all of which is hooked up to different like dismembered organs Mm. that they have harvested from various humans. This sounds very you, Macy. (laughs) 
and, and very relevant to what you're writing at the moment as so, well. So, uh, Karen is, disclaimer, my Viable Paradise roommate, uh, and she is great, and this is a very good book. Um, and so if you like gory space things with badass women, you should pick it up. Um, I have also uh, the flip side of the Macy. I am a good half million words deep in Boku no Hero Academia fandom. Uh, I don't know why. It just happened. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I'm going to mention one fic, um, Wherever You Are, That's Where I'll Be by Unremarkable, um, which is one of many that I've been reading. But Unremarkable is particularly good at, there is a very fluffy pairing that is not the main pairing that the fandom likes, but I like it best. And I've just been eating a lot of that pairing for no reason at all that I might be seeking fluff right now. Um, but that mm. particular fic is basically just two teenagers who like hold hands a bunch and nice. their classmates looking at them and going, are you guys dating? They're just like, no, we're just holding hands. Yeah. I That's, mean, yeah, it's valid. It's, it's valid. Um, yeah. So there's that. <laughs> um, I have also consumed a couple things. I finished my reread of Hero the Ninth and immediately Yay. emailed uh, Tamsin Muir to yell at her about how good it is. Um, <laughs> even on the second reread, I still can't figure out where she hid the fucking hidden mirrors and invisible wires to pull off this magic trick. Alex, it is what? I thought that you hated street magicians. I do hate street magicians, and which is why I'm so... I get, I get a sense that the email to Taz was probably full of, I hate street magicians, how did you do it? Well, Sorry. I didn't say I hate street magicians because I didn't want Taz to think that I hated her, but it was full of, I'm so mad about this, how did you do this, you have to explain this to me right now, I can't figure it out. Other than that, I watched a couple uh, Netflix series, which were weirdly focused on the Cold War, which I... <laughs> didn't particularly like the omen of but you know sometimes it'd be like that uh, i watched the second season of umbrella academy um which if you aren't familiar with it it is this kind of semi superhero tv show i guess they're superheroes technically they're technically superheroes, superheroes. um seven kids who were from all around the world who were um, plucked up and sort of raised together and all seven of them have different superpowers and they sort of formed a team uh, as kids. They were like the gifted children and now they're like like jaded adults. <laughs> formerly <laughs> formerly gifted children, now jaded adults, uh, which is a mood. Um, and in season two, they are sent back in time from the apocalypse that one of them almost... Uh, <laughs> caused that destroyed the world uh and they are stuck temporarily in the 60s which causes them different problems because they represent like a whole range of diversity and so they have very very different experiences in the 60s um i also watched the queen's gambit uh which mm. i was initially attracted to because of the title i was like oh that sounds like a dorothy Dunnett thing <laughs> <laughs> i did yes, wonder it, it sounded yes like that or like the yeah leaf. megan megan yeah, it, to my dis i have to find out whether freya has seen any promotional images for this because the main character is very much like looks like our favorite murder wife from luther oh yeah i have seen a lot of things that make me think i would be very interested in this show tell us absolutely Alex. so i really liked it i really liked it um to my disappointment it was not a dorothy dunnett thing um it was its own thing it was um okay. about chess 
And it's about this little this little girl in the early 60s who is like at nine years old, she is discovered to have like this incredible talent for chess. Um, and she becomes like the chess world champion, um, except she also is struggling very much with uh, addiction specifically to pills, but she also has some um, some alcoholism issues uh, because of her adopted mother. Um, so trigger warnings for that going into it. Um, I don't think that there's anything like super, super graphic, but you might want to just like check it if that's a content that is sensitive to you. I really enjoyed it. Um, the part that I liked best is that she is the one of the only women in the circuit. And so a lot of people focus on her talent as like, oh, what is it like to be a, a woman? And like, et cetera. what's it like to be around all those men? Uh, and she's like, I'm literally just vibing. I'm literally just here to play chess and kick ass. Um, and she's kind of like very cold and and closed uh, off and she has like some problems with like interfacing with other people emotionally which i found relatable. very like <laughs> relatable yeah well this has just made me want to go away and watch the musical of chess i was gonna which, say although it has its problems it is one of my favorite of the musicals. musical of chess yeah because like in the in sort of the third act she has to go up against the russians because uh, that was sort of like the big um. thing in the cold war and and chess Circles. But before yeah. we move on to talk more about musicals, I hear that there is a shocking development. There is a shocking development. In the world of the slurp. Oh, no. <laughs> there is a shocking development amongst the slurpers. Um. <laughs> oh, God, I wish there was a... Sorry, I wish that was a long-distance way to water sprint. <laughs> Whenever one of them says slurp. Sorry. Alex, continue with your news. Water sprint yourself. <laughs> Darling listeners, this episode won't come out until like at least late November, early December. So it will, the news is like now at least more than a month old. Um, but if you have been following me on Twitter, you have seen that I just announced a new book uh, just before Halloween. Yay! Uh, it is called A Taste of Golden Iron. And if you have been with us for a while, uh, you have heard me talk about this book before. It is the Tropetastic Book of My Heart. It is the Fealty Book. Uh, it is full of kissing and hot bodyguards and uh, exquisitely beautiful, chronically anxious uh, princes, and they solve a conspiracy together uh, and kiss. That's it. <laughs> now that now that now that you and Freya are editor siblings, does that supersede your prior relationship as wives? Mm, gross, gross, gross question. <laughs> I think that the wife relationship comes first chronologically, so that should be the priority. Also, gross, Macy. Um, <laughs> I have a better question. Then shall I ask a different? Yes, question ask a different question. Allow me to escape the the entirely made up. Uh, As Macy mentioned, yes, I did sell it to uh, Roshi Chen at tour.com, who guested on the podcast for our our Untamed episode. Uh, She's great. What's your question, Macy? And my question for both of you is, what is a bard? Oh, this question. We're moving right. Oh, oh, something relevant to the episode. Oh, my God. I I thought it was, I thought we were not moving on from the episode to the episode yet. Yes, we can do that. What is a bard? We have bards to talk about. We do have bards to talk about. All right, I will go first. Okay. Because I have been thinking about this, and I don't think I have a neat sentence definition, but I have a certain number of things that I associate with the word. Mm -hmm. So definitely a performer. Yes. Mm. Definitely with some, I think, music. 
has to be associated with it. I don't think it's just reciting of poetry without music. For me, in my head, there has to be some music. Plus or minus actually creating your own, either music or narrative. Like, you don't mm-hmm. have to be a producer of content, just a performer of content or a collator of content. And to me, the word bard has something itinerant about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I know that you can have bards who are the bard of the court or the bard of a particular place, but to me, something about the word elicits somebody who travels. Yes. To a certain extent. Yes, I would agree. On, I absolutely agree on the performance aspect. Uh, I think that whether or not they perform music, I think usually they do, um, but there are bards who recite poetry um or who kind of serve as advisors to the court i'm thinking of king arthur's bard taliesin but that was the advisor was the thing that he did as well as being the bard like being a bard doesn't make you an well advisor, being right? being a he bard was... is sort of like like you are the wise person you are the person who carries the knowledge and i think that that's kind of the key thing for me is that there's someone who who is kind of the oral historian for their community. Mm. And the aspect of travel comes into it because you have to move from one place to another. Um, In the medieval times, for example, minstrels often served as the people who were carrying news from place to place. So it's kind of like a human newspaper. Yeah. 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 And then you have the music or the poetic rhythm as the medium by which you store your knowledge and don't forget right, it. Right, because... Because it's so much easier to remember a song than it is to remember, oh, I don't know, the first 15 minutes of your book to recite from memory. Thank you, I have done that, yes. <laughs> so if, okay, so, so the way that you guys think about it, you think that there has to be something about the transferal of knowledge or history, like actual fact, through... through performance not story. i don't think it has to be right fact. it's story mm-hmm. rather than fact because what is fact especially in like a pre-industrial uh era where we don't really have established academia um but that's like an entirely other episode we could i think we have spent a, a whole hour talking about that before was that that was that was the uh who tells who the tells story? the story that would have been episode like seven yes. or something yeah but somebody who's like literally just standing around singing spice girl songs as a job well, Is if you don't have access to a radio recordings. and recordings, then yes, yeah. it would be. Then maybe, yeah. yeah. I think there's a lot of like transmigration fanfic where the person comes and writes down Star Wars. Yeah, because it's mm. not just it's not just an oral historian as in the keeper of knowledge. It's also the keeper of culture, right? And so like they're yeah. singing common songs that, that everybody likes. Yeah, go ahead. I will argue that Part of being a bard is not storing, but transferring Mm. the knowledge. And thus I will argue that our mermaid tentpole from the deep is a bard. Yes, yes, they are. Yes, confirmed. Um, Yes. Anyway, I am going to start us off with a tentpole from Macy's childhood. Oh, yes. Um, And also my childhood. Yes. When Macy was a very small, book-hungry human... Um, who had yet to learn how to make friends. Mm, she must have read Dragon Song, which is the first book about this character, Menly, about two dozen times. Like, I read this book so many times. And um, Dragon Song, which is the first one, is about a small girl who is a harper who's very good at music, who writes songs, um, and her abusive childhood that she runs away from uh, ends up being found by the master harper and taken back to the chief of like where everybody who does music in the entire planet learns and practices and develops songs. And that is this book, 
Dragon Singer. It's one of the books of the Dragon Riders of Pern series. Yes, this is by Anne McCaffrey, and this the full title is Dragon Singer, Harper of Pern. <laughs> and the thing about Pern is Pern is a science fiction uh, series masquerading as medieval fantasy in which the people on the planet have kind of forgotten all technology. Um, and so a different society has developed um, over the millennia that sort of mimics medieval fantasy Europe as we imagine it to be. And one of the things, they don't have newspaper. Um, paper is a new invention for them. They transmit knowledge by writing songs and sending harpers, as they call them, not all of them play harps, but they're all called harpers, out to the various remote towns and cities to spread knowledge, which is my, like, foundational image of a bard. Yes. Mm. And Menely in particular does not embody the performance aspect of the bard. She can do it, but she doesn't really like to. She is somebody who comes up with songs, and very good ones, but she's kind of very modest, I think, in this book is my read. She has to be taught how to deliver her music. Which makes sense, considering her background. Right, because this is a kind of sexist society, and she has been told that girls don't get to do these things. Mm -hmm. Mm, And she comes from a background where nobody takes it seriously as a profession, Mm -hmm. even though they know that harpers exist. And so, yeah, she, she doesn't actually value her own gifts because she's been told over and over and over again that they are worthless. I, too, had strong memories of this book from childhood, and I had forgotten that there was a dragon song that came before it, because to me, I had no interest in dragon song. It was a magical creatures uh, book about a girl adopting some lizards, and I was like, I don't care. I, I just don't care. But Dragon Singer is a performing arts high school book. And I, as Which Baby Freya, Freya, was very into. into performing arts high school books. Uh-huh. And so for me, this was perfect. It was about going to class and clashing with your teachers <laughs> and having terrible roommates who didn't like you and having to overcome oh. everything and perform at the end of year concert. And <laughs> being the most specialist, <laughs> special girl in the you whole school. You are the specialist, it special had, girl. <laughs> it had such big competence porn energy. Like, she goes from teacher to teacher and all of them think that she's useless and then she, like, performs for them and impresses them without realizing it and she still thinks that she's nothing like that is absolutely pure (laughs) childhood whoosh fulfillment like just injected directly into your eyes Ah. (laughs) yes but i did like that even though manoli herself doesn't really care that much about the function of bards in society like she just wants to make music with other people who are good at making music and enjoy herself and write her songs there are a lot of things happening around her in the book that she is only she's aware of, but she just doesn't bother to think very hard about. And so <laughs> the master, a kid. she's a kid, and so the master Harper is very clearly running a network of spies and propaganda <laughs> machines out of the harping school, and just like somebody she is, doesn't notice. Just, well, she's like this other person comes to her, and he's like, I need to know everything about being a fisherman, and I have to be able to do it really well and convince people that I've done this for my whole life. And she's like, what a weird request. Okay, I guess. <laughs> okay, and doesn't think and about doesn't it. Doesn't think it. about it at all. Mm. Uh, but then yeah. there are some thing, conversations that happen in the book. And I wrote down a quote from the Master okay. Harper where he says, we are the ones who affect change. Just as we teach with our songs, so we help people accept new mm. ideas and necessary changes. Mm-hmm. So for him, the purpose of bards is not just transmitting news, 
and transmitting culture, it is actually being a force for change. Like mm. he is shaping he, culture. He is a shaper. Right? He is a politician. The right. Master Harper. Yes. Yeah. Because it's stories. It and is. Who knows better than a fan than a fantasy author like Anne McCaffrey that stories change worlds? Yes. Yes. Yep. Yes. Oh, all of that. Yes. <laughs> if you want to hear more about that, dear listeners, I have a book series. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. mm. um, but I liked what another thing I liked about this one is that it was not quite about Bard as solitary performer, which I think a lot of right. the other ones are. Mm. Hers was really much about the joy of performing in a quartet or <laughs> writing something for a large choir. Like she, her joy in music comes from performing with others, which mm. goes a little bit against the way we traditionally think of Bards as being solitary producers of performance. Yes. Well, and I think that this is, I mean, you guys have presumably by this point noticed that I always write magic that is cooperative and collaborative, mm. right? Like Goodness, I'd never, I'd never noticed that before, Macy. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, but like a lot of that comes from, I spent so much of my teenagedom, childhood, etc., making music. Mm-hmm. Um, and solo performance is one thing, but even a soloist is normally accompanied. Everything is about that gestalt between people. Um, and I did love, uh, there were scenes in this book, for example, about mentally that there's a dramatic occurrence that happens and it's scary and people have nightmares and there's a lot of shouting and mentally starts to write a song about it. And the master harper comes in and helps her and tweaks it. And like, they do it together. Right. Um, and it's about, you know, a song isn't something that just magically appears. It's something that can be created and crafted and done by choice. Right. And it's also like the thing that I really liked too was that it was so collaborative because a song doesn't necessarily just belong to one person. Like other people mm. can take it and tweak it and change the words or add verses. And um, like there was a suggestion in the book that they were trying to sort of like add structure to it and like mm-hmm. like you're going to copy out the the music and so we, we can send copies out to people mm-hmm. so they can learn this def, uh, definitive version of the song rather than right. like letting it be a a living changing thing um right. but there was that aspect of like oh yes like someone else did take your take your work and, and change it a little bit and i appreciated that she was kind of she was a little bit surprised about that at first but i think that she was surprised because it was showing that they valued her work enough to add to it rather than being unpleasantly surprised that they had taken something that belonged to her and done something to it well and i think that there is a range when we're talking about bards and bard stories of systematization mm. of the act of being a bard. And I think that our next tentpole, the fanfic tentpole, is kind of the opposite to this one, right? It's a lot le- it's a lot more individual. And I think, Alex, are you going to tell us about that one? I am going to tell you about this one. So this one is With a Conquering Air by Explicifix. Inexplicifix. Inexplicifix. Thank you, Macy. I was like, what is that word? One of those cartoon characters who are the French Gauls. I was actually going to talk about that because there is is a bard in the Asterix comics. And I'm not quite sure. I have to look up what he's called in French because the French puns are always amazing. But in English, he's called Cacophonix. Amazing. Incredible. (laughs) Alex, anyway, would you like to continue? I would love to continue. Thank you, Macy. Uh, With a Conquering Air is a Witcher fanfic, and it is this AU where uh, Geralt has become a conquering warlord and has sort of accidentally <laughs> conquered himself an empire, and he is terrifying and intimidating. And so all of the kings around who are trying to, like, be on his good side and sort of, like, like uh, 
like butter up to him, send him tribute, and he usually gets one tribute wagon a month. And uh, this fic is centered on the um, point of view of Yaskier, the bard from The Witcher. And he is sent by his family to be basically a sacrifice to this terrifying, <laughs> monstrous um, <laughs> monster that has... his family is a shitty family. Right. Um, and so, like, they're expecting him to be possibly raped, possibly eaten alive, um, possibly just, like, tortured and killed for the, the amusement, uh, amusement of the warlord. Amusement. amusement. Yes. Um, but, like, Yaskier gets there. And the first night there, they basically just ask him, like, okay, well, what are you good at? Okay, you're good at that. We'll find a job for you. We'll put you to work doing the things that you have talent and training for. So he ends up being the court bard because they don't have any musicians around. He ends up tutoring Siri, uh, who is uh, Geralt's um, uh, child surprise again in this, this universe. And he really, like, finds a place in this court among people who genuinely value him for the things that he is most proud of in himself. And it's very, like, wholesome. And then they kiss. (laughs) I like it because there is that sense that he's being given things to do that fall within his skill set, but also that he is a representative of something that they think they need to have. Like, he's an Mm -hmm. accidental Mm -hmm. warlord. He has an accidental court. And then along comes a bard. They're like, oh, I guess, I guess courts have bards. Oh, I guess have he, also knows, <laughs> he also knows how all the cutlery works and when we should curtsy and how to write a proper treaty and then not insult people with it. So we'll just yep, use him for that funny. as well. Yeah, there's, uh, there's this meme template of a golden retriever in a lab coat holding up a like test tube that's just like, I am a dog scientist. I don't know how I got here and this is distressing. Which is like <laughs> my, my mental image of like Yaskia and Yennefer and like all of the rest of them going, we made a thing. We made, made ah! a thing somehow. It's also full of like fealty and yeah. and that was yeah. that was good. But like the thing that I was most impressed about was that the author knew exactly what a bard is good for. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a line in the fic about, um, like, Yaskir tells Geralt outright, like, words are my weapons. Like, you have swords and I have words and you have problems that can't be fixed with swords because there's, like, rumors about you, like, these rumors of you being a monstrous, a horrible person. Mm-hmm. You can't mm-hmm. fix those with swords. That will just make the rumors worse. But you can fix them with songs and and stories. I also really enjoyed um, slash was amused by the number of times in this and the sequels where Yaskia gets distracted composing while Geralt is trying to have sex with him. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You are fucking me in a very good rhythm. Let me write that down. <laughs> Let me write Gerald's this like, down. Will you not? <laughs> <laughs> oh, hold on. Like you're, you're literally inside me right now, but I just thought of a really good line of a poem. Let me just write that down. <laughs> I think there is something about that when you think about the bard yeah. character. There's something mm. in it's a vocation. So bard can right. be a title, it can be an occupation, but when we think of a bard character, there's also just something about them that means they have to create. Yeah. That, that's how and they I think process that it's the something world. something that, like, we as, I, I don't know if you guys, but, like, as writers, you kind of relate to that, right? Mm. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Sometimes you just get something in your head and you're like, fuck, somebody give me a piece of paper, I will write this on my arm, I don't care. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's no, very relatable. <laughs> because, like, like, what Yaskir is doing, I think a lot of people, if someone who wasn't 
familiar with that concept wrote this fic. They would have tried to make it kind of like cool and special because hmm. people who aren't writers think that creation is cool and special, but people who are <laughs> writers know that it's weird and embarrassing and yep, that sometimes yep. you're a fucking nerd about it and you just like start singing in the middle of like having sex with someone. <laughs> But let's talk a little bit about the song cycle and like what he does as a bard. Yeah. Because right? I thought that was super cool. Um, and one of the things here is the the court doesn't really know what to do with Yaskia either. And so he starts composing songs about their battles. He starts interviewing people, like a court reporter, right? Yeah. Uh, it reminded me, actually, so Karen, who I mentioned earlier, who wrote the book that I'm reading at the moment, mm. used to be a reporter. And one of the things that she sometimes talks about is going around and interviewing people on the street to get their opinion about things in order to build up a narrative by compiling all of these points of view. And Yaskier is doing that, which I thought was super cool. And he's doing it on purpose. He is hitting the yes. ground running. He like arrives in court, he looks around, he sees what the state of things are, and he's like, okay, I need to make myself valuable to these people. I need to make myself helpful to these people. Here's how I can do that. I can write a song cycle about them to make them mm -hmm. sound amazing and to make them feel amazing about themselves. Mm. It's like he's performing a similar role to Elliot in in other lands, but he comes at it from the other direction. Huh, Elliot's yeah. entire thing is like, why is everything being solved with swords? This is stupid. Someone yeah. needs to learn to use words instead. Yeah. Whereas Jessica comes into a place where where swords are more or less the thing that is doing the most good. He says, okay, here's a niche. Mm -hmm. you know, yep. Yeah. 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 And they I, are both bisexual disasters, which is that's a mood. Yaskir is the most bisexual disaster. Yeah, that's true. And like, I, I've never played D&D. &D. So my knowledge of bards as a D&D &D class comes from watching lots of other friends play D&D. &D. But it seems to me that there is something inherent in the bard that is the, you know, I roll to seduce the monster approach. So like, that is the classic. Are all, are all bards bisexual disasters who will flirt their way through things? Or is that just a D&D &D thing that has somehow developed into a headcanon? I think I will talk about this a little bit later. Okay. But this is this is about um this is about charisma. This is about using empathy as a tool. Mm -hmm. And this is about this is, you know, this is the frozen meat sales. Thing. Yes. Macy's uh, misspent youth. <laughs> this is the frozen meat sales. This is about um developing your ability to relate to people in order to both Obtain the information from them that you can make into songs later. You need to get them to tell you the truth. You need to get them to trust you. And B, get them to listen to you and take your truth as theirs when you are performing. Both of those things together give you a plus 20 to the type of charisma that will also lend itself to seduction if that is where you choose to min-max. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But we have another story about interviewing to understand fiction better. You're keeping us so organized today, Macy. I'm just so proud of you. I just want to acknowledge that. I've got that. a plan. You do. I'm going places. Good job. I'm on a train. I'm on the tracks. Good job. Freya, take it away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm very happy for Macy to be driving the train today because I have the first cold I've caught all year. No. Despite the fact that it is nearly summer, so my brain is full of clouds and fluff. Darling listeners, we are wrapping our Australian in <clears throat> imaginary blankets. Mm. Okay, so our third temple is the novella When the Tiger Came Down the Mountain by Nevo. And if we have timed this correctly, this should just have come out from Tor.com. Be about to come or out? Or possibly I be think? just about to come out, because it comes out at the very like, end of November, I think. Or very early December. No, December. First week yeah. of December. Right. So... We, I think we have talked about, though not Tempold, the first of Nevo's novellas, mm -hmm. uh, The Empress of Salt and Fortune, 
But this is the second one, which stars the same central character, who is the scholar archivist Chi. And in this story, Chi is making their way back home and ends up joining up forces (laughs) with someone who is a woolly mammoth rider, which is amazing. I very enjoyed the woolly mammoths in this story. Uh, But they end up getting stuck, stranded in the mountains at night, endangered by a trio of tigers. And the, the tigers, tigers are, the, best. the tigers are the best characters. Absolutely, a trio of <laughs> sisters who are quite intrigued by these people and would quite like to eat the man that they have with them because men are only good for eating. Say yep. the tigers, yes. which Correct. is also a mood. <laughs> uh, and in order to distract the tigers and keep them alive, she does a very Scheherazade uh, yes. you know, story of one thousand nights thing and says, "I will tell you this story." And the tigers go, oh, yeah, this is a story that is in our history as well. We will eat you if you don't tell it correctly. (laughs) (laughs) And so the story is a frame narrative for the story of the scholar and the tiger, and it's an FF romance. And she has to tell her version of the story that she knows from having questioned people and gathered the story herself, uh, and then keep being interrupted by the tigers who have a different slant on it and their history is different and they have a different cultural memory of how this would have happened mm. or they keep bringing her up on points that have clearly been lost in translation or that would never have happened because tigers don't do that. It is extremely <laughs> fun. It's a very engaging novella. It's very dry and funny. And, of course, it's perfect for a bard slash practical folklorist story. I think that that was the thing that got me was the comparison with the Harper organization in Dragonsinger, because you have the sense that Chi is kind of uh, almost an avatar of their library, right? Of their monastery, is it? That they come from the, um, I can't remember what it was called, but basically that this is a story that has been archived and Chi is now going to take back their notes and hmm. make it better, uh, yeah. which I thought was really fun. It's like... Um, uh, these kind of long strands of connection um, and mm. of deliberate propaganda, almost. And she promises the tigers, if you let me live, I will improve the story mm-hmm. as it is formally recorded. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll make sure that we have the correct one so that nobody else is telling the wrong story either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. A different kind of practical folklorist to um, to, to Mrs. Silver in, in Silver and the Wood. Yeah. yeah also, axes. I want to... I want to contrast that with the Harpers in Dragonsinger because mm-hmm. like what they're doing is that they are projecting knowledge outwards. They are they are sort of shaping the message of the knowledge that they want to spread. They are shaping the culture that they want to form and then they are distributing it distributing it from the centralized point. Whereas what she seems to be doing is that she is going or that they are going out into the world to collect mm-hmm. knowledge and to bring it back to the archives. I think that that's entirely an artifact of the point of view characters for those stories, though. Mm. Because you look in the Dragon Harper books, um, and, for example, you get Menely teaching a sea shanty to the Harpers in the central place that is being brought back. And I would imagine that if you went back to Chi's abbess and asked them what they were doing with their time, it would be a lot more like what the Master Harper is doing, mm. right? Because we, we happen to be with... like Chi is a journeyman out in the wilds, well, and Menely is an apprentice in the center of the universe. Yeah, I mean, well, naturally there is a 
back and forth for both of them. Like they're like you you gain knowledge by trading your own knowledge. So there is like an exchange happening for for both of them. But what I meant more was that the the focus of each of them seems to be distribution versus collection. I definitely agree on a character level. Mm. I just don't agree on an organization. That's level. fair. Mm. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> and she misrepresents to a certain extent what she's actually going to do with the knowledge that she's gaining mm-hmm. mm. because she's telling the tigers yes let us live and i will go back and improve the story and make it the official <laughs> version what she's actually going to do you can tell is go back and footnote the hell out yep. of the official version and write a whole <laughs> new annotated version explaining where the discrepancies are in the tigers <sighs> version and their version because if your whole point is collection and collation you're not necessarily looking for the one truth you're right, looking for right. what versions exist out there and how are they different. And that's the interesting thing. And I did really like also that she is using the ability to kind of think on their feet and adapt. And it's what we were talking about a moment ago with the, the seduction D&D bards um, that talk the tigers around, find an angle, persuade them, tell them what they need to hear which uh, Chi's companion, the Mammoth Rider, is completely not able to do. The Mammoth Rider is just like, we're just going to like make the Mammoth threaten them. Mm. And she's like, there's three tigers and one Mammoth, Mats. Uh- <laughs> yeah. And because I think this is a bad character where music is less important. Mm. Like, I don't, there's not much of a sense because she's more, because Chi is more of a scholar monk. An mm-hmm. archivist rather mm-hmm. than a singer right. performer. I wouldn't be surprised if music was one of the things that they do collect and record and perform. But this is much more about versions of story. But I, I thought that the perspective of Chi was really well written because every time they think about something, they often think about it in terms of, oh, I heard a story once where this. And mm. even if it's just throwaway mm-hmm. sentences, the way they think about the world is framed in the comparisons of stories. Mm-hmm. And I, that's one of my favorite things to see with people who do really good third person, close third person writing is when right. somebody's me- metaphors and similes and the way that they think about what's happening to them is framed in what their driving vocation or most prominent interest is. And that was mm-hmm. done really, really well in quite a short space here for Chi. It is. It's a very short, compact um, piece of fiction. I really enjoyed it. Um, but I think we are we are two-thirds of the way through the episode. Shall we do some taxonomizing? Always. Always, always. Yes. What are we taxonomizing so- <laughs> today, Macy? <laughs> Taxonomize the heck out of some bards. Okay. <laughs> yes, because I wrote down a whole lot of different spectrums that I think bards Aha. can exist upon, uh, which are represented to various ways by our tent poles, mm-hmm. but also by other types of bard characters. And the two that I came up with most, I think the three that I like that I wrote down mm-hmm. is chroniclers of individual greatness mm. versus community <laughs> resource. And <laughs> obviously you can be somewhere in a spectrum there. A repository of knowledge versus a PR firm. <laughs> and then Barda's performer versus Barda's creator. Mm. And I think all of our temple bards exist in slightly different places on those three different spectrums. Right. And I think that, um, yeah, like how, how married are they to the truth versus mm. a really good story? Uh, I think kind of comes into that repository of knowledge versus PR firm. Yeah. Like what is your actual job if you are the court? Yeah, what are you trying to achieve? If you're the court bard for a warlord or for a king and queen, <laughs> like is your job, you know, if you are William Shakespeare at the court of Queen Elizabeth, is your job to tell very flattering stories about the current monarchy's 
right. uh, ancestors like, or is it to provide <laughs> diverting entertainment for Twelfth Night or is it to challenge, you know, the status quo? And Friends usually taking it's... taking us right back to the bard. The bard himself. <laughs> I had to put him in somewhere. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, it's just the, if, if someone's paying you to write the stories and record the histories that they want, then you're not less concerned with the truth than more concerned with the money. Yeah. Well, I mean, who was it who was before the episode talking about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy me. as a bard story? Me. Yeah, me. Like... <laughs> Ford Prefect is a bard. Ford Prefect is, like, literally a chant. Um, and but because, Ford like, Prefect is a repository of knowledge type, right? He's a he's the repository of knowledge. He's, he's one of the... His job is literally to travel around the galaxy, collecting information and sending it back to the publisher so that they can update <laughs> new editions of the Hitchhiker's Guide. Are Wikipedia edit- editors bards? No. Possibly. I mean, they serve the same purpose as Chi. <laughs> footnotes, footnotes, footnotes. Citation needed. Well, okay, I think I think in the modern world, like, it gets so specific because bard oh, is gosh. a very, like, bard is a very kind of, like, overarching category right and so then once you get into the modern world you get into hyper specific focuses like Mm. archivist or musician Mm. or folk singer Mm. i think that the aspect of performance maybe makes me say that like yeah we do go back to performance and wikipedia editors don't perform podcasters and youtubers are the bards yes yes correct (laughs) not to be not to be a dick about it but like um an author is a bard to a degree, but they're not performing to someone. And we are not performing to someone precisely um, because you, darling listener, are not sitting here with us. Uh, much as we wish, wish that you were mm. on the other side of a screen. But like, this is a performance. It was a performance in Dublin WorldCon when right, we did the live exactly. show. Yeah. Mm. Well, I think filkers are modern day bards. Yes, yes absolutely. absolutely. Well, but filkers are completely about fiction. Uh, right and like to what degree is a filker attempting to manipulate culture well it's a transformative work sure folk singers definitely it... are bards for example the one that i am arlo guthrie is a folk singer from way back when uh he sang alice's restaurant and he wrote a bunch of protest songs and that literally is about changing culture well hmm. we should talk then about bread and roses oh we? yes we should the title <laughs> of the episode Bread and Roses, darling listeners, is a uh, protest song from, um, I think, back in, like, the late 1800s, I want to say. So the first mention of the phrase appears in the American magazine in September 1911. 1911, okay, wow. Apparently. And it's about women's right to vote, apparently. That was where it was first cropping up. Yep. For women's suffrage. Um, and the phrase bread and roses, like bread means like the everyday stuff that you need to survive. Bread to eat, like the bare minimum. And roses is the stuff that makes life beautiful. And so the song is about give us bread, but give us roses too. We need what it's, we need to survive and we need beauty and art. It's a riff off bread and circuses, right? Yeah. Which yeah. was the Roman, um, what was it in Latin? Pane et whatever. Yeah. But in that, that like, yeah, what do you but it takes a much more, down? It takes a much more positive view of right. necessity versus art. Because bread and circuses right. was been that this is what you give the peasants to keep them occupied. As long as you give them some entertainment, then they're not going to revolt. Honestly, bread and circuses is what the Hunger Games embodies. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
right? Yes. Um, like the, the Roman Empire and the Colosseum is very much Hunger Games. But Bread and Roses, I first came across this folk song in the movie Pride. So yeah. Which I... is an amazing movie if you mm. want to cry a lot yeah. about mm. uh, solidarity between the gay rights and AIDS activists in London and a bunch of Welsh miners dealing with the strikes uh, against Margaret Thatcher and her closure of the coal mines in mm. Wales. I said yeah. Wales. You did I? say Wales, yes. I, I think yes. I would say it as bread and circuses is a term spoken by the oppressing class. Mm-hmm. Bread and roses is the demand of the oppressed. Right, because it's the difference right. between surviving and living. But let's talk a little bit then about what stories we tell with bards, because we've kind of mm. gone into that, right? Yes, mm. and I think we cannot help but tell very meta stories because we've already talked about the ways in which the creation and the creative drive is something that writers like talking Mm, about because writers like talking about writers we're a little bit solipsistic in that way and even (laughs) what we were talking about even what we were talking about with Manoli going through the process of collaboration is kind of like Mm. what happens when you have somebody who's been writing on their own for a long time and suddenly suddenly is given editors (laughs) (laughs) and you're like oh actually these people know what they're talking about and are making my stuff better this yeah. is amazing. Yeah. It yeah. is actually you amazing when that happens. You write a group chat and you will see so much yelling about, my editor is making me do all of this stuff and they are right and I hate them It's for It's them. bad. Yes. It's bad, actually. <laughs> it's yeah. bad. <laughs> yes. Uh, but so, like, one of the things that I was thinking about, even back when I was, like, a pretentious little twit in college, uh, <laughs> was I was in creative writing classes and I was hanging out with all of these other writers who kept writing stories about writers and they were always very yeah. bad. And I was like, why Why are these very bad? Because I'm just as interested in myself and my, my process and my um, amazing, incredible brain as everyone else is. <laughs> Um, But the difference between a writer and a storyteller is that Mm. the archetype of the writer, and let's actually take a moment to do a quick thought experiment. When you guys think of the archetypical writer, what's the image that appears in your head? Just give me a couple words. Yeah, I think I think this is going. It's basically somebody who is in a room on their own versus somebody who has an audience in the room with them. Correct. I was just thinking it's about it's about static versus dynamic. Yes. Right. So you think of you think of the archetype of a writer. They're sitting in a garret. It's cold. They're miserable. It's, you think of a storyteller. You think of someone standing next to a fire and talking to people. It's the unstrung harp, right? Yes. Ta. Yeah. By Edward Gorman. <laughs> dreadful, dreadful, <Yes>. dreadful. <laughs> dreadful, dreadful, dreadful. dreadful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so so we write about writers because so much of our time is spent alone in rooms and we have to kind of grapple with that emotionally but when you start reframing it as storytellers it Mm -hmm. takes this whole new sort of meaning and and like you said macy dynamism right it's like um the act of writing changes nothing it's the act of being read yes and that can be done actively by you to somebody or it can be you know writing a thing on Twitter, writing an article that gets shared. Like, writing changes the world, but not just by being written. By being heard. Right. Yeah. Mm. And I think if you are choosing to write a story that involves a bard character, you are taking advantage of that to some to some extent. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so you mm-hmm. can use the fact that you are presenting somebody who is telling a story to an audience, and that can be your framing mechanism, which is what is done in Nebo's novella. You can use mm-hmm. it to play around with the shape of narrative and to play around with what is a story, what is a physical object, what is the oral tradition, uh, mm-hmm. you know, what, what good are footnotes, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> 
<laughs> but the, the thing about bards that really fascinates me, um, let's take, uh, taking even a step away from bard as creator mm-hmm. and go to the pure bard as performer, is this is a mechanic with a screwdriver and a hammer and a set of nails. They have this whole tool bag of songs and stories and they can choose between them and their skill lies in choosing the right tool, the right story to connect and leverage their audience, right? Yep. And that's cool. That's mm. fascinating. Yes. Yeah. And then what story you're telling depends on what is their personal motive. Mm-hmm. Are they working are for a government? Do? Are they a propaganda agent? Are they an <laughs> agent of information collection uh, to bring back to somebody who is the person who's going to be doing something with that? Or mm-hmm. are they coming from this from a personal, you know, drive to just know more or to be the best? You know, there's so many different ways you can use a bar, but I think it really, really depends on what are they doing it for? Like we have talked about what on a narrative level bards are for, <laughs> but an individual, why they're doing it, that's the interesting stuff. That's why you get Yaskia doing it because, you know, it's a use for him and then because he respects Geralt and then because he falls in love. And, you, you know, weirdly, weirdly, you are reminding me of um, Atomic Blonde uh, because I'm thinking about the spycraft of being an agent behind enemy lines whose main goal is to suborn people Mm -hmm. and the ways that you do that is by telling stories to that individual you paint them a picture of a life that will be better for them or better for their country or safer or the ways that you will hurt them if they won't and that Mm. that's stories and that's kind of the same toolkit but in espionage and somebody wanted to talk about this down here macy stop you're giving me ideas for another channel (laughs) (laughs) fuck macy Mm. i can tell like this cold war thing that's like entirely powered by chance on enemy lines god that'd be fucking Mm. good um continue sorry he's doing the same thing because the two sides of the spy coin are information collection and exerting influence through narrative Mm -hmm. yeah right right that's the same and um i wanted to very briefly mention we don't spend long on this there's a book on my shelf that i haven't read yet um about can't relate so many books that i haven't (laughs) read yet freya don't start with i will come to my home and i will bury you like a turnip so that you will grow up big and strong it's a radish i'm sorry untamed fans i'm sorry There is a book, darling listeners, if my slurpence will permit it, called Symphony for the City of the Dead. And this is a book about propaganda and about Shostakovich in the Siege of Leningrad in World War II, trying to smuggle out a symphony for use to bolster the spirit of, I believe, the Allies, um, and the use of music, purely music, classical music, nothing in it with words, as propaganda. Side question. Is Captain America a bard? <laughs> As presented in the first no. Avenger movie. No, he's not, because he's not coming up with the propaganda. He's just sort of a he mouthpiece for the propaganda. Hammer. He is somebody's tool. Yes. Right? He is yes. the story. Yeah. He is the embodiment of the story. But like, I'm also thinking of um, the fucking Holst and the English folk song suite, which does the same thing more or less as, oh God, somebody help me. What's his name? The German with all the fairy stories. Um, Tchaikovsky? Grim fairy tales. <laughs> Grim oh, fairy oh, tales. Oh, we're not doing music. <laughs> the Grim fairy like, yeah, yeah. The actual fairy tales. No, um, which is to say, this is our national identity. Yeah. Right? Mm. Be proud. This is ours. We should rally around it, which you know is dangerous, but... Um, it's the same, same thing that going? that Finnish guy did with uh, collecting the Kalevala. 
Yes, it's music invokes emotion. And if you are taught much classical music, you are taught to pull stories from it. They ask children to listen to a clip of music and tell them what is the emotional arc, what is the story, make up a story for this music. Mm. Um, and yes, that is mm. very effective, particularly when it's using motifs that are recognisably mine, and I thus feel in-group about it, as mm. the Russians knew to great effect. Mm. And the idea of having <gasps> a musical tradition that is part of your cultural identity is used for that it's used to make people feel part of an in-group like i think national anthems are meant to do that though they're more of a behavioral tool than an actual musical tool i give you <laughs> corral a large group of australians none of us would have any particularly strong feelings about the national anthem uh but we might have some feelings about waltzing matilda oh which yeah. was written by banjo patterson who is the uh, australian <laughs> bush poet that i was at the beginning of the episode uh right. because there is part of the australian fabric and yeah and it's like song sorry. stick song stick right? song that's what you're saying stick. with waltzing, Machi with mm. waltzing matilda uh, a really good song and this is what yaskia does in the show not in the fanfic but also in the fanfic is um toss a coin to your witcher didn't just stick in the consciousness because it was it made everybody think of the gig economy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Waltzing Matilda sticks because it's the it uses the four chord pattern, which everybody should now go Google and watch the four chord song. But <laughs> chord it's a very effective amazing. piece of simple folk tune. Yeah. Right? Yes, mm. I love it. It's, <laughs> it's catchy as shit. Toss a coin to your witcher, also catchy as shit. Just both of those songs, like two songs that will earworm you for days. Yeah, it's the use of music as vector for message. Mm -hmm. Like if you, mm -hmm. it's the same thing if you are having war songs be played over the radio to keep people's spirits up or to keep them from, you know, don't give up. Here's a message in music. Make sure you're paying attention yes. to rationing. Here's a song about it. You know, here's a very sentimental song about somebody waiting for their lover to come home from the war. You know, here is how you are meant to be thinking about your life and the events oh that are going on in your life delivered in, with the vector of music. The, 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 the sheer effectiveness of the New World Symphony, right? Like, uh, ah. anyway, music. Uh, yes. Music is important. Yes, yes it is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> well, I wanted to finish it off by asking you two a question. Given that we have covered a vast range and a vast spectrum of bardic types, what would be your ideal bard self? So if you existed in a narrative as a bard, what kind of life would you like to have and what kind of purpose do you think you would serve? So I think that this is going to be a completely predictable answer and I apologize for that. But like, so I wrote these books, A Conspiracy of Truths and A Choir of Lies, and they are about bards and they're kind of already about my idealized version of bards. Like they <laughs> um, gave up their homeland and decided to wander the earth and travel around and meet people and see different things and eat street food in different places and see the ways in which people really live their lives. And when I have gone traveling, uh, that's kind of what I ended up doing. Like the parts mm -hmm. that I really enjoyed were like going to the grocery store in a foreign country because it, of the ways in which it was just subtly different from going to the grocery store in America or like being at a friend's house and just like living with them in their day to day for a couple days. Um, and see, for example, when I was in Finland a few years ago, I stayed with my friend Vera and uh, it was the summer and the sun didn't go down until like 11 o'clock at night and then it rose again at 2 a.m. and that was weird and cool. So Alex is the kind of bard 
who's maybe more like Chi, who's collecting yeah. stories and things and information. Mm. I think that for me, um, Alex, you remember the nebulas that we drove to? I do. So the nebulas has a evening of uh, award presentation and everyone had kind of sloped off to their rooms to get ready and I discovered a piano. Mm. I, I discovered a piano. Um, so I would definitely be the type of bard who shows up at a campfire with an instrument and a song. Yeah. Because right? um, I got like a significant chunk of publishing singing Hallelujah, singing songs from the musical Cats. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like that's just how I be. I have songs stored in my head and they're always there. And how do you pick the right one? How do you pick the right key for the lock? How do you unzip the restraint that we all have that holds us apart from one another mm. and make people connect and listen and pay attention and open themselves? And speaking as a member of your audience for that moment of you being a bard, that was one of my favorite memories from the Nebulas, was standing around the piano Aww. with you and a bunch of other people and like singing whatever songs you were playing. Um, <laughs> and like, yeah, exactly. It's bringing everyone closer together. It was great. Freya, though, what are you going to be? Yeah. You've got to tell us, too. I would like to be an entirely roses-producing bard. So roses. I want to be the person who produces the song that you sing when you're bored and you just want to cheer yourself mm. up, the stories that you read when you're in the hospital mm. and you don't want your heart mm. to be torn out. You don't necessarily need to be intellectually challenged, but you want to feel joy. I love that. And I had, a, I had an initial review, or like a very early review from a bookseller who has a copy of my book who did a lovely thread and they said, this book is not interested in pulling your heart out. It wants to hold you tenderly. And mm. that's what I want to do. I, I don't necessarily need to write the big idea books or the like tragic and, you know, going to pull you through the ringer and leave you devastated but impressed. I want to write the romance novels of the world, the things mm -hmm. that add the roses to everyday yeah. life. I love and also, that. And also do the fanfic thing where you look at what exists in the culture and say, which parts of this can I draw out and yeah. transform what? into something that brings more joy. What, yeah. what glitters. What glitters, yes. <sighs> Dear Slurpins, this was a lovely episode to have on Friday of election week to talk <laughs> about like season. the good and sorry, like the Alex, good and beauty. I think you misspelled Tuesday 4. Tuesday 4. To, a beautiful conversation to have on Tuesday 4 of election week talking about like the wonderful beauty that we can put into the world. Thank you for joining us, dear listeners, and thank you for this wonderful episode, dear Slurpins. everybody, thanks for joining us for this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. You know, sometimes I miss being a musician. Actively, I mean, rather than passively. On the night of the election, I ended up in this uh, multi-room Zoom setup with some friends, and they let me quietly commandeer a side chamber to point my camera at my piano. And we sang together for a half hour or so, and people kind of wandered in and wandered out. And it reminded me of how powerful music is for invoking emotion and connection. It does make me whist a little for uh, singing Les Mis barefoot in friends' kitchens in the wilds of Ireland, or learning new harmonies to the Mary Allen Carter with queer folk I might never see again. Words are power, 
Stories are power, but music is something deeper. Anyway, not to get all maudlin at you, we have some even more exciting topics to talk about in upcoming episodes. On the next episode, two weeks hence on December 16th, we'll be discussing structure. It's the mid-nano recording episode, folks. No prep needed, but chaos guaranteed. So if you have a friend who's into stuff like that, maybe give them a heads up. In the meantime, feel free to continue the conversation with us. Questions, comments, breathless adulations? Contact us at serpentcast at gmail.com, at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr, or join in the conversation in our fan Discord chat, which is linked on the About the Show page of our website. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. And by the way, I'd sing a song with you. I bet you have a lovely voice. <laughs>